you. So it was Christmas time. My two older teenage brothers, and I was in my teen years as well, the best gift that we got, a backboard and a basketball, first one that we ever had. Mom and Dad left to go visit some uh, friends that night, and the last thing they said when they left was, don't play with a basketball inside. They were not even out of the driveway. When the basketball came out, and we're just passing it back and forth in the house. And my two older brothers really got into it, this macho, you know, chest pass thing going back and forth, and just harder and harder and harder until my one brother ducked, and the basketball went through this big window that was in our kitchen. By the way, that big window, which we now covered with cardboard, my parents had to walk by on the way in the house that night when they came home. Big trouble. What is it about it when people tell us don't, that's exactly the thing we want to do. Do you ever notice that? I mean, 70 miles an hour, how fast are we going to drive? Don't walk on the grass. Where do we want to walk? Wet cement. You know, it just, it's just part of our nature that whenever we're told not to do something, our attitude becomes, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to do it anyways. The book of James, as we've been going through here, and we're in chapter 2, James is going to talk to us about the importance of our attitude of embracing the law of God, embracing what God has to say. And we're going to just read a short paragraph together, James chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality... You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. But judgment is without mercy to one who has been shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James, in this one paragraph, mentions the law and refers to law several ways, directly and indirectly. He talks about the royal law. He references the law of love. He talks about the whole law, and then he talks about the law of liberty. In this one short paragraph, it's clear he's talking about this idea of God giving commandments, God giving directives to our life. It's flowing out of the paragraph that we looked at last week where James is addressing the issue of not showing preference. Matter of fact, he ties back to that thought when he says that the law of love keeps us from showing preference. And then he's going to follow this with talking about the importance of uh, having faith that actually works. So wedged in between this part where he's talking about the importance of of, of not showing partiality, of treating other people as image bearers, and then talking about a faith that actually works and shows itself through obedience. 
He said, I want to talk to you about this thing called law. I want you to understand that God has spoken and how your, your attitude of embracing the law makes a difference in your faith if you're going to continue to move forward in your faith. Uh, let's take this apart a little bit and think about what it means to embrace God's law. You see, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, the law of God really, in a sense, was the, the first five books of Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy, foundational to the rest of the Old Testament. The, the historical books talk about God's faithfulness to his covenant and the unfaithfulness of his people. The wisdom and poetry either celebrate or show the, the, the wisdom of God's law and the prophets address as prosecuting attorneys those who are not keeping the law. But, but more particularly, the law of God had to do with the, the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy as God really lays out his law for us. When you think about God's law, it is the royal law and the authority of the royal law we need to embrace. Why is it referred to as the royal law? Well, royalty has to do with a king. And God was the king among his people. That is a description of who God was in relationship to them and who Jesus is in relationship to us. He is our king. You see, God took his people, Israel, and they had been slaves in Egypt. He delivers them out through the Exodus and brings them to Mount Sinai. He's going to take this, this massive people who were slaves and turn them into a theocracy where God's going to rule as king over them. He's going to rule them as king. And so he gives them his laws. And the laws involve the moral law, like the Ten Commandment, the civil laws, talking about how they were to deal with crime and even health issues, and then the ceremonial laws, how they were to worship and offer sacrifice. And God gave his law. And God was saying in that way, I am your king, and I have ultimate authority. I've come to rule over my people. Jesus shows up, and in Matthew, the wise men come and say, where is he that is born? What? King. And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is representing his regal authority, his sovereign authority, his right to rule over us. Matter of fact, Jesus actually interprets the law of Moses and shows he has that authority. It is his royal law. And, and he and he kept in his obedience the entire law of Moses. Matter of fact, Jesus would say things like, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually, as king, has ultimate authority. In the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he says this, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. You see, my attitude towards God's word, not just the law, but if you look at verse 8, he says it very clearly. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, so the word of God, the revelation of God is given to us because God loves us and cares for us. And in his wisdom, he says, I want to show you how to order your life. But my fallenness, my brokenness because of sin causes me to do this. I want to do my thing. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. Don't throw the basketball. <laughs> but it's worse than that. Why is it we have to learn everything the hard way in life? Where the diploma is black and blue. Well, why is it that we can't just take the wisdom of God and say, God, you're right. 
Your wisdom is, is your authority represented in our life. You see, Jesus is your rightful king. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called king of kings. You know what that means? It means he is the ultimate emperor of the entire universe. He rules over every nation. He rules over creation. He rules over the universe. And his word is our authority. It is his royal word to us. And friends, when we embrace that, when we really embrace that, you see, the, the psalmist had a great attitude towards the law of God. Psalm 1, he talks about delighting in the law of God. Psalm 19, he describes the law as being more precious than gold and more to be desired than even honey. Psalm 19, longest of the Psalms, 176 verses, he talks about delighting in the law of God. I want to ask you a question. Do you and I delight in the authority of the royal law of God today? Do you say, God, I'm so glad that you love me so much that you gave me your word. So I didn't have to figure everything out the hard way. You gave me your word and its authority. Christ the King has graced your life by giving you his word. I want you to notice the second thing he says about the law. As he describes it, he then goes on and talks about what we call the law of love, the heart of the law of love. You've got to embrace that. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. Um, And he talks about that if we're showing partiality, we're not showing the law of love. So when we embrace the law of love, we're really embracing the heart of what God had in mind. Even in the Old Testament. Remember when Jesus walked this earth and uh, a certain lawyer came to him and said, "Um, what's the greatest commandment? Because the rabbis were all discussing this. They They debated what's the greatest one of 613 commandments. What's the greatest one? And Jesus responded, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, that's the greatest commandment. Two sides to it. Interesting, in the Ten Commandments, you have two tablets of the law. One of those sections have to do with our relationship with God. You're not to create idols. You're not to worship, take the name of God in vain. You're to worship God. The first tablet of the law has to do with God. And the second tablet of the law has to do with our relationship with other people. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, right? So two tablets of the law, God says, this has to do with God, this has to do with other people. Jesus sums that up and says, the law of love sums it all up. Love God, love other people. And and here, James is applying that. He said the royal law has to do with God's authority. The law of love has to do with the heart with which we respond to people. Uh, Paul would later say in 1 Timothy, he said, love is the fulfillment of the law. When we love God the way we should, and we love others the way we should, all of the other aspects of God's commands to us are going to be kept. Um, One Bible scholar said, love God and do what you want. (laughs) Because if we do love God, we'll do what he wants. Love God. Love others. Because you see, Jesus is not only our king, but Jesus Christ is the one who teaches us to love. By his example, no one ever loved like Jesus Christ. Think of him washing the disciples' feet. Think of him ministering to the lepers. Think of him healing those that were, that were deaf and those that were lame. 
the compassion with which he talked to the woman at the well. Jesus demonstrated love in the ultimate sense. And he then, after washing the disciples' feet, he said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. He said, this is my commandment. So the heart of the law that we need to embrace is loving God and loving others. And, and those are both based, by the way, on, on the Old Testament law. Deuteronomy 6.5, love God. Leviticus 19.18, love others. Love others. Jesus even said, love your enemies. Love those that are different than you. The, the story of the Good Samaritan. So Christ is my king, and his royal law is to be my authority. Christ is the ultimate one that teaches me to love, and his law of love is to be the heart of my obedience. See, God doesn't want us to obey him simply out of some sense of, of duty or, or uh, fear. God wants you to obey him out of a heart that's motivated by his love for you. Pastor Luke and I hadn't talked about this, but when he read Ephesians chapter 3 earlier, I thought, this is just right on. Being rooted and grounded in love. Because if you're rooted and grounded in God's love, the overflow of that love for him will be demonstrated in your love for other people. I want you to notice thirdly that James talks not only about the fact that the, we need to embrace the authority of God's royal law and the heart of of his law of love, but we also need to embrace, we need to embrace the conviction of the whole law. He, he continues on here and he said, um, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. So he's, he's tying to what he'd said before about showing partiality. And he said, when you do that, you are convicted. You're under conviction by God. You are accountable, in other words, to God for your sin. And you are committed sin. You are convicted by the law as transgressors, those who have violated the law of God and are held accountable. And then he makes this point. He said, whoever keeps the whole law in its entirety but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. But if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you are still a transgressor of the law. Some of the rabbis would, would uh, say things like this. You know, if you keep all of the law, you'll really be happy. If you don't keep any of the law, you're going to be miserable. But if you keep some of the law, you'll be sometimes happy and sometimes miserable. That's not what the Bible teaches. Here in James 2.10, he says, listen, if you keep the whole law, but you offend in one point... You're guilty of it all. You're guilty of every part of it if you do that. One of the things that uh, is uh, one of the joys of being married to a wonderful lady who's an interior decorator is things change in our household a lot. As a matter of fact, when we lived in um, Grand Rapids before, we had a, our, our dining room was right off the sliders going out in the back, and we had a chandelier that was hung there. But sometimes of the year, the chandelier had to get moved into the fireplace room because the dining room got moved there. Matter of fact, I think that happened six different times that I moved that chandelier. You know, it's interesting that it was at different levels, and there was a chain that connected that. I had to, you know, rewire it every time we moved it. The chain 
But you know what? If you had one bad link in that, guess what would happen to the chandelier? Crash. You keep the whole law, but you offend in one point, the whole thing comes crashing down. The whole thing smashes. And, and, and he's saying, listen, you may think, you know, I'm a pretty righteous person. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed adultery with anybody. I haven't. But then Jesus comes along and he said, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But a man who looks on a woman to lust after has already committed adultery. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you that anyone who speaks in anger or evil about another person has already done that in their heart. So Jesus is saying it's not just the outward action, it's the inward attitude. Guess what, folks? You know what that means? We've all thrown the basketball through the window. And at the end of that section, Jesus says this, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Anybody here that wants to raise their hand and claim, I am perfect, I've never sinned, I've never broken God's laws, I've never violated on the inside or the out, anybody want to raise your hand and do that? Because I want to interview your family. <laughs> I'm not raising my hand. Be perfect? The conviction of the whole law. You see, Jesus understood that the law was our schoolmaster, as Paul says in Galatians, to bring us to Christ. The law was intended to be something that we could measure ourselves against and say, you know what, I desperately need somebody to rescue me. If any man keep the whole law, but break one link of it, the whole thing comes crashing down. And my friends, every person here has broken the law of God. There's not a person here. And if you think you have not, then you need to let the Spirit of God measure you by a higher standard, the righteousness of God and the Word. But here's the good news, friends. The same God who has the right to judge you because you have violated his commands came into this world and lived a sinless life, never broke the law of God, faced temptation and never sinned. And he went to the cross to pay the price for your sin, all of it. He died as your substitute, as your sacrifice. And he did that so that you could have a relationship with him. The conviction of the law. Friends, we need to let the word of God convict us continually. I ask you a question. When is the last time, just reading the Bible in a worship service or sitting under a sermon, you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart about sin? My friend, if you can't remember a time when that's happened, then I would be very concerned. What's happening to your conscience? What's happening to your heart? Because I think that in the Christian life, that is a continual, ongoing thing that leads us to conviction by the law so that we see our need of Christ and we acknowledge that the whole law is one piece. You can't simply break one and say, I'm off the hook because God's going to grade on a curve. I've got news for you. God is not like your teacher. He doesn't grade on a curve. God's standard of righteousness is perfection. And you and I can never arrive at it apart from Jesus Christ. In a little while, we're going to have a chance to be able to remember what Jesus did on the cross through the bread and through the cup. And in so doing that, we're going to remember 
who Jesus is and what he did. So the royal law, that's the authority. The law of love, that's the heart. The whole law, that brings conviction. But then look at this, the mercy, embrace the mercy of the law of liberty. The mercy of the law of liberty. He says, so speak and so act. In other words, your speech, what you say, and your actions. That's a way of talking about the entirety of our behavior. Kind of an expression that's saying, your speech and your behavior, that's all you do. So do it as those that are going to be judged under the law of liberty. The law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So embrace the mercy of the law of liberty. When Jesus was here, uh, he said this to his disciples. If you continue in my word, John 8, you will be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will liberate you. The truth will set you free. You see, God's truth has a way of liberating us, not bringing us into bondage, but bringing freedom. And obedience to God is the way of freedom. I want to show you a chart up here, and you have something like this on your um, bulletin where you can kind of fill this in. I think when it comes to our attitude towards God's, God's commandments, we can uh, fall into two different ditches. The ditch on the left is legalism. That's what the Pharisees fell into. And, and they, they made man-made traditions around the law of God to keep people from disobeying the law of God. And, and, but self was the authority. It was a self-righteous kind of an approach. And so it was all about self. It really wasn't about God at all. Matter of fact, Jesus had no greater confrontations with anybody than the Pharisees. So legalism is a ditch on one side of the road. On the other side of the road is license. That's the opposite where people say, I don't have to worry about obeying God because after all, we're under grace. I don't have to even be concerned about obedience. I just get to do what I want to do. And self is still the authority. And friends, that's just another form of bondage. If you think you can just do anything you want to do and ignore the word of God, my friend, you're in a ditch. I've driven through West Michigan here on the way out towards Zealand and Holland, and there's some places where the, the, the muck farms are, and man, there's some really deep ditches there. And if you go off the road in either ditch, it doesn't matter if you're in the ditch on the right or the ditch on the left, you're in a ditch, and it's a serious problem. But in the middle is liberty. Liberty is the freedom that comes living in accordance with the Word of God. In the law of liberty, he's talking about here. My friends, are you living in the freedom? And, and Christian liberty, by the way, isn't the freedom to do what you want. Christian liberty is the freedom from sin and self to be conformed to Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. I want you to get this. Important to understand. Christian liberty is the freedom from sin and self to be conformed to Jesus Christ. And that's the road. That's the road that God wants us to be on, is the road of liberty. The law of liberty is a law that sets us free. Sets us free. But to live on that, we need to be those who show mercy. Why? Because we receive mercy. Jesus tells a story in, in Matthew chapter 18 about a, a man who owed a great deal of money to someone, and, and because of that, he's thrown in debtor's prison, but he pleads with his master to forgive him. And he does. And that man goes out and he chokes another guy and says, you owe me a very small amount of money. And then the point of the parable that Jesus is telling is, you received mercy, you need to show mercy. 
And those who live under the law of liberty understand the mercy of God. That because you've been demonstrated mercy. Friends, if you are judgmental and constantly critical about other people who haven't arrived at where you are, then you're not showing mercy. And if you're constantly negative about other people and you're unwilling to show mercy, then the question is, have you received mercy? Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Are you willing to show mercy to other people who who maybe are struggling with sin? Are you willing to show mercy to people who have not yet arrived spiritually where you are or you think you are? Are you willing to show mercy? You see, the people who really understand the law of liberty are the most merciful people towards other people. They, 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 they show mercy. They show grace. Why? Because Jesus is not only our liberator, but he's the one who shows mercy. So think about this. If Jesus is king, king of kings, then his royal law needs to be your authority. You don't get to make it up. If Jesus is the one who models love and teaches us how to love, then our heart needs to be the heart of the law of love. Because he's called us to that, to love him and to love others. If Jesus is our the one who has made provision for us so that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, then we need to embrace that, the conviction of the whole law on our souls and say, God, continue to convict me because I want to continue to be changed and continue to be transformed. And if Jesus is the one who shows mercy to us and has demonstrated that mercy to free us from bondage to sin and self so that we can live in the liberty of Jesus Christ, then when he says, do something, it's because it's for our good. And when he says, don't do something, it is for our good. It's amazing to have all these students down here today. And and I just heard you had a great weekend. But I, I just want you to know, I long over you for something. I long over you that you don't have to go through your life learning things the hard way. I long over you that you don't have to bump into the unchangeable realities of God in order to discover that God's wiser than you. His authority is better than you. His mercy is all you need. The freedom that comes from obeying him is really where life is at. I want you to embrace that. And if you embrace it now, you don't have to go through life learning everything the hard way. Because God loves you so much. And his grace and his mercy is so abundant. And his wisdom and his truth is for you. And frankly, that's not just for students. That's for you and me, no matter how old we are. Are you learning the lesson of the royal law, of the law of love, of the whole law, and of the law of liberty? Are you learning that God has every right to say to you, don't throw that basketball. Don't throw that basketball. I have something better. And to know that that same God... obeyed his own law perfectly and provided a way that you and I can come back no matter how far we are from God. His mercy and his love is more than enough. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for being our king. May we submit to your authority. Thank you for showing us how to love and loving us the way you did so that we can love you back and others. Thank you for convicting us of 
our sin, through your whole law, that we could come with confession and repentance and be delivered by you. And thank you, Lord, for your mercy that gives us liberty and freedom. Freedom from our sin, freedom from ourselves, that we could live to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think part of the question for all of us is, have we actually stepped into the mercy of God? Do we recognize our need for the mercy of God? Because when you recognize that need that you have, it really impacts the relationship we have with God, but also it impacts the relationship that we have with other people and how we treat them and how we engage with them. And then you're running to the feet of Christ and saying, God, just teach me. I just want to know your ways. One, one of the cool things is last, uh, last night I came back with four of my buddies from this church. We ran down, uh, drove all through the night, Tuesday night, I told you last week, and we spent several days chainsaws in hand. I woke up this morning doing like this after several days of cutting wood. And as we were driving back on the 15-hour trip yesterday, one of the things that we were talking about is how every single guy on this trip, it wasn't that they were all leaders, every, everybody was a leader. It's that as they said, hey, watch out for this, or hey, you got a limb, be careful, right? You're just cutting wood everywhere. And hey, watch out for this, and hey, this branch could fall here. Everybody was so receptive to it. Oh, thanks for, thanks for watching my back. Oh, yeah, okay, I need to come over here, right? Because we're using tractors, we're doing all kinds of stuff, trying to get this, this wood out of the way. And there was a receptivity to hearing from others. It's what you're saying now, there, right, with the basketball. Why is it that we, we hear God calling out, hey, don't, do, don't buy in to premarital sex. Don't buy into drugs and being controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit. And then we go, hey, I, maybe that's what I should try. Why is that? Why are we not receptive to a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, a husband, a wife, or God running in and saying, hey, I got something greater for you. Hey, you can do this, but if you do, there's a limb that's going to hit you. And maybe we need to ask ourselves, Pastor Jim, are we really willing to run toward God in that way? Toward his mercy and to his law because it's so beautiful. And in response to that today, we get to share in communion. It's one of the two ordinances. So we come up and we take little pieces of bread and we drink out of a little cup. Be grateful for that because just over 100 years ago, people said, you know what, I, I want to stop sharing the same cup. And it's an opportunity for us to be able to come together no matter where you normally may go to church, as long as you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's what we ask, and to take the bread, to take the cup, and to remember what he's done so that we can live in that freedom, that liberty that is in the law, that is in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to invite each one of you to come, leaders to go ahead and go to each station now, and they're going to remove those tops and to allow you to come and go to one of the, uh, the leaders as well. They're going to be standing different places. So you can go to the table or you can go to one of them and take that bread and take that cup and go back to the seat if you would. And then after this first song, I'll come and we'll be able to share in taking that together as God's church. And so right now, as people who love God and recognize the mercy that he has thrown, that he has lavished on us, may we stand together and come before him 
showing appreciation for who he is and remembering all that he has done. Would you please come at this time? Christ our Savior, He is Jesus, He is Jesus, King forever, our Sin defeated, we are Jesus, He is Jesus. 
Jesus, King forever, our Redeemer, He is Jesus. So before you take Remember that your insecurities and your anxieties and your stresses and your worries and all the things of the world that are full of sin and hatred and hostility and hardship, just remember this. We take this in order to remember and to celebrate that he defeats all of it. He defeats all of it. It is the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ that has been shed for you. May we know the fullness of the mercy and the love and the passion of God. And may we respond to him with a unhindered love and care for his son, Jesus Christ. May you know the fullness of his glory as we declare his goodness.